Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Whenever I ask people, what are the character traits of Jesus? I get a lot of answers that sound like what everyone would say. Because it's quite obvious that Jesus is kind. I mean, people, if I ask them, what are the character traits of Jesus? They normally always say kind. They'll say compassionate. I mean, if I were to ask you, what would you say? What are the character traits of Jesus? He's kind. He's compassionate. He's patient. He's certainly loving, right? He's forgiving. I mean, he came to forgive. He came to give his life as a ransom. He's gentle. He's wise. He's tender. He's strong. He's discerning. He's holy, right? He's sinless. These are all character traits of Jesus. He's confident. He's humble. We could go on and on and on. And I ask that question of a lot of people. In fact, I asked that question on our TV show recently. To all the guys on our TV show, when we film our TV show, it's a, uh, it's a men's Bible study. It's about 40 or so guys in the study. And I asked them, what are the character traits of Jesus? These are the things they say. No one has ever said that Jesus is angry. Huh? Yeah, Jesus at times is angry. Is it okay to be angry? Is anger always a sin? If it's always a sin, then Jesus must have sinned because he was angry. What? Are we ever to be angry? And in what sense are we to be angry? I have three questions that we're going to cover today. First question is, what makes Jesus angry? And secondly, are we supposed to be angry? In fact, one of the one of the quotes that Paul quotes from the Old Testament, in Ephesians 4, he says, be angry and yet do not sin. Are we supposed to be angry? So we're going to ask, what makes Jesus angry? Secondly, are we supposed to be angry? And third, if if... If we're supposed to be angry, what are we supposed to be angry about? And how are we supposed to be angry? Because you never hear people talking about this. Anger is always viewed negatively. Is it ever good to be an anger? To be angry? I mean, basically, our culture views Jesus as like a '60s flower child. He's soft and he's sweet and he's kind. And he never says a bad word about anyone. In fact, you've probably heard people say things like. Oh, that person is such a saint, he's never said a bad word about anyone. If that's the definition of a saint, Jesus was no saint. Because he had some bad words about people. And we'll see who once we get into this. We also hear that Jesus is meek. Now, when I always thought about the word meek, I always thought that meek meant kind of shy and quiet. Kind of somebody who wouldn't speak up. Meek, you know, just kind of mild and and somebody who wouldn't create waves. Well, that's not really what meek means. What does meek mean? It doesn't mean being a doormat. Meek means 
power under control. Jesus had power, but it was under control. And there were times when he would display that power. And sometimes he would display it through anger. Now, obviously, a couple of the most obvious examples of Jesus being angry is in John chapter 2, when he goes into the temple. And it says, so he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? Wow, sweet, kind, and mellow Jesus did this? Yes, Jesus was angry. Are we supposed to be angry? And in what way? He did not like the fact that they had turned his father's house into a market. In fact, his disciples remembered that he had said, or that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me, a quote from the Psalms. And the Jews, after he overturned the table, said, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and, in, and in, I will raise it again in three days. And of course, they thought, <laughs> they said, hey, man, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? Of course, what was he speaking about? He was speaking about the temple of his body, that he would, he would raise his body from the dead. So Jesus goes into the temple, and he basically jacks people up. He was angry. Wait a minute, Frank. What about turn the other cheek? Aren't we supposed to turn the other cheek? Doesn't that mean we're never supposed to get involved in any kind of violent activity at all? We can never be angry? Well, turn the other cheek in the context in which it was said meant if somebody insults you, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek to them. In other words, you don't need to return insult for insult. This had nothing to do with, certainly, governments and going to war and a just war. As you know, there were many just wars in the Bible. And there are occasions when war is the least worst choice. In order to restore peace, sometimes you have to use force in a fallen world. So when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, he certainly wasn't talking about governments or police forces or armies that they could never resist evil. No, you have to resist evil. He's talking about personal insults. But what about love your enemies? What does that mean? Well, love, first of all, let's note this, that love is not a feeling. If love were a feeling, you couldn't love your enemies. Because you don't have warm, fuzzy feelings about your enemies. If you're going to love your enemies, it can't be, oh, feel good about them. No, it means to treat them with respect. It means to treat people who are all made in the image of God with the reverence that they deserve because they are made in the image of God. You're supposed to love your enemies in that way. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't defend yourself or if you're in a, a nation that you can't defend your nation or you can't defend your family if somebody wants to hurt them. That's not what it means. But it does mean you're to love your enemies in such a way as to win them to Christ, if at all possible. But that doesn't mean, again, that you can't be angry. In fact, as we go on in this program today, I'm going to submit to you that if you're not angry about certain things, there's, that's a sin, that you ought to be angry about certain things. The question is, what should you be angry about? 
Jesus was certainly angry. In fact, Jesus was angry about quite a lot. In fact, if you read Mark chapter 3, and by the way, just a couple of weeks ago, I was in Capernaum where this happened when we went to Israel. Whenever you go to Israel, you just your mind opens up to what goes on in the Bible because you can see what happened. In Mark chapter 3, it says in verse 1, Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is... Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with Herodians and how they might kill Jesus. Why is Jesus angry with them? Because of their stubborn hearts. They were more concerned about rules regarding the Sabbath than healing somebody who needed healing. They had their values inverted. And they were against Jesus. They wanted to kill him after he healed people. Not only in this instance, but after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, Caiaphas says he wants to kill Jesus because of his stubborn hearts. Intellectually, they had evidence he was the Messiah, but they didn't want him to be the Messiah because they didn't want their jobs interfered with. They didn't want their livelihoods interfered with. Isn't it better that one innocent man died than the whole nation of Israel be destroyed, as Caiaphas said? What should you be angry about? We're going to talk more in just a couple of minutes. I'm Frank Turek. Don't go away. If you're low on the FM dial looking for National Public Radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamined.org. That's Cross-Examined with a D on the end of it. What we do is we present evidence for Christianity and we cross-examine ideas against it. We also talk about philosophical, ethical, and theological issues. Today we're talking about anger. Was Jesus ever angry? And the answer is yes, on several occasions. Well, if we're supposed to follow Jesus, does that mean we need to be angry? Yes, but there's a big caveat to that. And we'll see a little bit later. Most of the time, our anger is not righteous anger. It's unrighteous anger, but we'll get into it. Jesus was angry at quite a bit. We talked about turning the tables over in the temple, turning the the temple into a marketplace. He's angry at the stubborn hearts of the Pharisees who wanted to kill him after he heals somebody on the Sabbath. And he's also angry at several other things. In fact, let's list a number of things Jesus is angry at. First of all, he's angry at putting money over people and the worship of God, which is what was happening at the temple. You know what else he's angry at? This is going to sound crazy, but I think it's true. He's angry at religion. What? Yeah, religion. Because religion obscures God in his grace with traditions. That I'm going to work my way to God. I'm going to put God in my favor by doing X, Y, and Z. If I do X, Y, and Z, then God will respond to me with A, B, and C. I'm earning my way to God. I am my own savior. That's what religion does. And in the first century, the people who were obscuring or obscuring God and his grace with traditions were the Pharisees. 
They were obscuring it because they had all these traditions that were, that were that they were adhering to in order to put themselves in favor with God, to put God in their debt. God owes me because I did X, Y, and Z. Now he owes me A, B, and C. Jesus is angry with that. He's angry with self-righteous people. In fact, in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to these Pharisees. And he gets to a point where he says, your father is the devil. What? Jesus, that's not very Christ-like of you. <laughs> why would you call, why would you say to somebody, your father is the devil? Can you imagine having a conversation with somebody and saying to them, your father is the devil? Wow. Well, Jesus knew their hearts quite obviously. But he's angry with self-righteous people, and they were. Now, we've got we to gotta check ourselves here, friends, because quite often we're self-righteous, aren't we? In fact, that's the kind of anger Jesus doesn't want to have. He doesn't want to be self-righteously angry and doesn't want us to be self-righteously angry. He wants us to be angry with sin, our own sin. And he wants us not to obscure God's grace with traditions. He's also angry at leading people astray, especially the young. It's better for a millstone, or is it better that you would have, um, let me get this right. I, I want to quote this properly. I don't have it in front of me. He said, it would be better to have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the sea than for you to lead these little ones astray. Don't lead people astray. Ooh, that's, that's scary, especially if you're a teacher. James 3.1 says teachers are going to be judged at a higher standard. Make sure you're not leading people astray, ladies and gentlemen. When it comes to the truth about God and about Jesus, make sure you teach them properly. Don't lead people astray. Don't lead people away from the truth, and Jesus is the truth. Jesus is going to be angry with that. Jesus was also angry with hindering God's agenda with man's agenda. In Caesarea Philippi, we happened to be there about a week ago, up there in northern Israel. Jesus basically rebuked Peter when Peter said, you know, you, you, can't, go to, you can't go to Jerusalem and die. May it never be. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan! By the way, that's one, one example of what we call embarrassing testimony. They never would have invented this. This is not an invented story. To have their leader, Peter, be called Satan by Jesus. Of course, Peter does a lot of embarrassing things that they never would have invented. You don't invent embarrassing details because those details make you look bad. You want to hide embarrassing details. But the New Testament writers reveal these embarrassing things about Peter. He's called Satan by the Lord. He denies Christ three times after saying, Lord, I'll never deny you. He's rebuked by Paul in Galatians chapter 2 for trying to get the New Testament believers to obey the Old Testament law. This is embarrassing. They're not inventing this. No extra charge for that. Just wanted to point that out. This is not a made-up story. But when you hinder God's agenda with man's agenda, I mean, Peter might have had good intentions, but he didn't realize that it was his agenda not God's agenda. It was God's agenda to go to Israel or to go to Jerusalem, Jesus to go to Jerusalem and die as a sacrifice 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, to die as a sacrifice for our sin. Jesus is angry if you hinder God's agenda. He's angry at unfruitfulness. The parable of the minyas. We get time later in the program, I'll describe that. I don't know if we will. It's a long parable. But if you read the parable of the minyas, Jesus is not happy when people are unfruitful, when they don't use their gifts for his glory. Jesus is angry at death. He's angry at the death of Lazarus. It shouldn't be this way. That people die, that people get sick and die. By the way, as I've mentioned before, why or how does Jesus show he's the Messiah? Well, in several ways. In fact, he, he there are four things that, that are a problem for us as human beings. Number one, we sin. Number two, nature can hurt us, natural disasters. Number three, sickness obviously can slow us down. And number four, death. Sin, nature, sickness, and death. Notice that when Jesus does miracles, he does miracles in those four areas. First of all, his life is sinless. So he takes care of sin by being sinless himself. Number two, he has power over nature. He calms the storm. He walks on water. He can do what, or he can calm nature because nature can hurt us. So he can overpower nature. Number three, he can cure incurable diseases. He heals people. And number four, he can overcome death. He can resurrect people from the dead and even resurrect, resurrect himself. Well, what we lost in Genesis, we regain in Revelation. Paradise lost in Genesis is paradise regained in Revelation. The entire theme of the Bible in one word is redemption. And Jesus redeems. He's sinless. He has power over nature. He has power over sickness, and he has power over death. He is going to restore what we lost in Genesis when the kingdom ultimately comes for good. He's going to take away our sin. He's going to take away our pain. He's going to take away our sickness. He's going to take away death. That's what Jesus does. So he's angry at death as he was at the death of Lazarus. He's also angry at sexual immorality. In fact, if you read Mark chapter 7 or Revelation chapter 2, verses 21 and to 23, I mean, it's, it's pretty stark. What does Jesus say? to the church at uh, one of the churches in, let me, let me get to that passage here. Uh, he says, nevertheless, this is Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Verse 21. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. 
then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Whoa! I will strike her children dead. This is Jesus speaking? Sweet, mellow, meek and mild. Jesus, the man who would never say a bad word about anyone? I think we ought to read the Bible rather than just taking the culture's word for who Jesus was. He was not a 60s flower child. Some of you aren't old enough to even know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Jesus was angry. In fact, he was angry at all sin. In Mark chapter 7, he said, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, but what comes out of a man that makes him unclean, which includes sexual immorality. And by the way, in our culture today, you'll hear people say, well, Jesus never said anything about, say, homosexuality. He never said anything about these kinds of issues. Well, a couple of responses. Number one, um, that doesn't mean he was for it. I mean, if he never said anything about felony home invasion, you wouldn't think that he was for felony home invasion because he didn't mention it. Number two, he actually did mention it because right here in Mark chapter 7, when he's talking about sexual immorality, he's talking about the category, which includes any sexual activity outside of intercourse between a man and a woman inside of marriage. It includes everything except that includes adultery, includes homosexuality, includes bestiality, includes uh, fornication or premarital, includes all these things. He talked about the category. He didn't talk about every individual instance. And when he talks about theft, he's including felony home invasion and every other kind of theft. So yes, Jesus did talk about homosexuality and adultery and fornication and bestiality when he talked about the category sexual immorality. And thirdly, even if that weren't true, as Christians, of course, we believe God inspired the entire scripture from Genesis to maps. And for the Christian, the New Testament is our authority on right and wrong, uh, as expressed by God through the scriptures. We also know it through natural law, the law written on our hearts. But in the New Testament, that's our moral authority there. And it is mentioned. These kinds of behaviors are mentioned in other places, be it Romans 1 or 1 Corinthians 6, other places as well. So Jesus is angry at sin generally, and we ought to be angry at sin too, but not just the sin of others, our own sin. And we'll talk more right after the break. You're listening to Cross Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network, our website, crossexamined.org. Cross Examined with a D on the end of it. Don't forget to like our Facebook page, crossexamined.org, and DR Frank Turek. We have two of them. Like those pages. And I'm back in two minutes, so don't go anywhere. You know, when we were in uh, the TV show recording this uh, program on anger, the one I'm doing on the radio right now, uh, (laughs) we were talking about what Jesus got angry about, what he didn't get angry about. Some guy in the the audience said, yeah, well, Jesus never had to drive to work on (laughs) I-77. Yeah, that's right. Maybe he didn't have to deal with traffic. Some of you are angry at traffic. You're angry at people cutting you off. I get it. I get it. But what was Jesus angry about? That's what we're talking about today because quite frequently people don't actually, they don't actually realize that Jesus was angry and he's been angry. He's angry about a lot and we need to be angry about what Jesus is angry about, not about what we're angry about, what gets us, but what really gets him angry. In fact, Let me ask you guys a question. 
because our the supreme value in our culture today is probably tolerance. But of course, tolerance doesn't really mean tolerance. It doesn't mean um, disagreeing with people anymore. Now it means actually in order to tolerate people, you have to not only agree with what they are saying, but celebrate what they're saying. That's not tolerance. In order to be tolerant, you have to disagree with what somebody says or does. Because if you agree with it, you don't tolerate it, you agree with it. But here's the question. Are Christians commanded to be tolerant? No. Why? Because tolerance is too weak. Tolerance says hold your nose and put up with them. Love says reach out and help them. And in order to love people, sometimes you can't tolerate what they want to do. I mean, think about this as parents. If you tolerate everything your kid wants to do, are you loving? No. You're not loving. If you don't stand in the way of evil, you're not loving your child. If you just say, do whatever you want, I'm going to tolerate whatever you want to do, that's not loving. That's a dereliction of duty if you're a parent. You're not loving. If you're going to truly love somebody, you can't tolerate the evil they want to do. So don't buy into this idea that tolerance is our supreme value. Our supreme value is love, and love is sometimes tough. Jesus was tough. Jesus, in fact, Jesus ratcheted the standard up. You know, the Old Testament standard was thou shalt not commit adultery. The New Testament standard is whoever looks at a woman with lust is guilty. What? That's hopeless, Jesus. What am I going to do? Yeah, the only thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to accept the free gift of my sacrifice in order to not be guilty. See, religion says you're going to work your way to God. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus says, you don't work your way to God. I work my way to you and you accept the stairway I've provided. There's no stairway to heaven. There's a stairway from heaven. Jesus came down and he paid the price. And by trusting in him, you can have your sins forgiven and you can be given his righteousness. Now, by the way, Another interesting thing about anger in Jesus, if you look at where where Jesus was angry, let's review quickly. He was angry at the money changers in the temple. He was angry at people putting religion over God's grace or obscuring God's grace with their traditions. He was angry at self-righteous people. He was angry at leading people astray. He was angry at hindering God's agenda with man's agenda. He was angry at unfruitfulness, angry at death, angry at sexual immorality. He was angry at all sin. But notice, when Jesus is angry in the New Testament, nobody else is. Everybody's like, hey, Jesus, what are you all hot and bothered about? What's the problem here? What does that tell us? We're not as sensitive to sin as we need to be. Jesus is the only one angry in all these instances. Everyone else is going, Jesus, what are you doing? You can't do this. He's turning over the tables. What are you doing? You can't do this. Jesus is angry at their stubborn hearts when he wants to heal people. Nobody else is. We're not as sensitive to sin as Jesus is. Now, if you're not angry at sin, if you're not angry at evil, There's something wrong with you. Miroslav Volf was a young man brought up in Czechoslovakia. 
I guess during the time of Tito. He now is a, uh, a Yale religion professor. And um, he used to be angry with God because God was angry, he thought. He couldn't believe in an angry God. Now he's actually flipped. Because he saw so much evil done in his society in Czechoslovakia during those years. Here's what he wrote. To all the evil that he saw in his country. You know, people were murdered, raped, all these terrible things happened in his country. Here's what he said. How did God react to the carnage? By doting on the perpetrators in a grandfatherly fashion? By refusing to condemn the bloodbath, but instead affirming the perpetrators' basic goodness? Wasn't God fiercely angry with them? He goes on to say this. Though I used to complain about the indecency of the idea of God's wrath, I came to think that I would have had to rebel against a God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. Let me read that again. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. Think about that. If you truly love somebody, you're going to be angry if somebody wants to hurt or kill them. And you should be. Jesus is angry because Jesus is love. Jesus is angry because Jesus is good. If you're not angry at sin, if you're not angry at evil, then there's something wrong with you. Years ago, I was at Fresno State, and a young man asked a question about jealousy. He tried to say that, how could God be jealous? That's a negative emotion on our part. And I asked him, I said, are you married? He said, no. He was a young kid, probably a freshman at Fresno State. I said, well, let's suppose you were married. And let's suppose your wife decided that she was going to start dating other people while you're married. Should you be jealous of that? Should you be angry with that? Well, he finally admitted yes. Why? Because she belongs to you and you belong to her. And it's wrong for her. It'll hurt her and hurt you if she starts dating other people. You should be angry with that and jealous if, some, if she tries to do that. If you're not, there's something wrong with you. Why is God jealous if we go after other gods and other idols? And we have a lot of idols in our lives in America. They're not metal, or they're not metal. They're often mental, right? We don't set up metal idols, but we, we have mental things that we go after, whether it's sex, money, or power. Why is God jealous of that? Because, number one, he owns us in the sense that he created us. And number two, he knows what's best for us is that if we worship him first, if we stay following him, that's what benefits us. And he wants what's best for us. And if we're not doing that, if we're following after idols, that's not very good for us. That's going to hurt us. And he's angry with that. Of course, he deserves it too. He is the ultimate goodness, but he doesn't need our worship. Why? He's an infinite being. He doesn't need us to worship him. You're not going to add anything by worshiping God. You're not going to add anything to him. You're not going to hurt God by cursing him. He's an infinite being. Who gets the benefit of praise and the detriments of cursing God? We do. God wants what's best for us, and so he's jealous. And if he's not angry at sin, he's not a good God. I love the word that Wolf used in this quote. He said, grandfatherly fashion. 
remember C.S. Lewis saying something like this, that we want God to be a grandfather. You know, kind of a senile old guy who just wants everybody to have a good time. Newsflash, God is not a grandfather, he's a father. Father's discipline. Fathers want what's best for their children, and sometimes that requires discipline. If you don't discipline people, you don't love them. Now, I'm not saying grandfathers <laughs> don't love their grandchildren. Obviously, they do. But grandparents, look, oh, we fallen grandparents, we sometimes uh, spoil our grandchildren. Just because we, look, we did all the discipline with our kids. So, but grandchildren, no. <laughs> We're just going to have fun, right? We'll send them back to, to their parents and they'll have to deal with them. But no, God is a father, not a grandfather. All right, so Jesus was angry. Yeah, he was. And he was angry at certain things, certain things that we tend not to get angry with. So are we supposed to be angry? Well, we got a bit of a problem here. Because on one hand, if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, it says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on, you, down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Okay, be angry and do not sin. Okay, be angry. Got it. But then you go over to James chapter 1, and it says, Dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. <gasps> Wait a minute. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 says, be angry. James in James chapter 1 says, man's anger doesn't bring about the righteousness, the righteous life that God desires. Now, which is it? What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to be angry or not? The proverb says, a patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. Hmm. Hmm. If we're supposed to be angry, how are we supposed to be angry? Well, these are not contradictions because there's two different things going on here in Ephesians chapter 4 and James chapter 1. James is talking about man's anger, but I think Paul is talking about righteous anger. And what is righteous anger? Righteous anger is being angry at the things God is angry at, the things we mentioned earlier, sin, evil, self-righteousness, obscuring the grace of God with traditions. Leading young people astray. You should be angry at those things. But I want to ask you a question. This passage is from the Psalms, actually. The passage that says, be angry and do not sin. Paul quotes it in Ephesians chapter 4. And it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, just about every commentator I've read says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. That means never go to bed angry. You know, if you've got a problem, you're in a relationship with a husband, wife, or whatever, a relationship... Don't be angry. Don't go to bed. Don't take that, that, that anger to bed and, and, and become bitter over it. That's just going to give an opportunity to the devil. Don't do that. Resolve the issue before you go to bed. Well, that's probably the right interpretation, but there's another interpretation that I think might be right as well. We're going to talk about it right after the break. I think it might mean don't stop being angry. What? Yeah, we're going to talk about it right after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Jesus was angry sometimes, and were to be angry sometimes. 
only in a righteous way. That's what we're talking about. We'll talk more right after the break, so don't go away. If you do, I'll be angry. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. As I was saying before the break, and you're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network, a lot of commentators will say, hey, that means don't go to bed angry, but I think it might mean don't stop being angry. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, stay angry, because if you don't stay angry, you're going to give an opportunity to the devil. In other words, if you're not angry at the righteous things, at sin, at obscuring God's grace by your traditions, at self-righteousness, at leading people astray, if you're not angry at evil, if you're not angry at those things, you're going to give an opportunity to the devil. Now, just me and, and uh, a seminary professor at our seminary thought that this might be the right interpretation. I mean, when, when Elton John sings, don't let the sun go down on me, what's he mean? It means, don't forget about me. And that's what this might mean here. Don't forget about being angry at evil. The question is, what's evil? Well, we already mentioned a bunch of things that are evil we ought to be angry about. The problem is, quite frequently, we're angry at the wrong things. And our anger, as Horace put it, he said, anger is momentary insanity. Momentary insanity. The unrighteous anger. We get angry at the dumbest things. Aristotle said it said this way. He said, anybody can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, that's not easy. In fact, let me ask you guys a question. True or false? Anger is an expression of love. True or false? Think about it. Anger is an expression of love. I say that statement is true. Why? Because when you get angry, what's happening is something you love is being taken away from you. So anger is often an expression of love. It's often an expression of idolatry. I mean, what makes you angry? When people get in your way, of course, you're driving. Somebody gets in your way, you're angry. When people interrupt or intrude upon you. Why do you get angry with that if you do? Because you love your own autonomy. You love your own schedule. You love your own to-do list. And people are interrupting you. How about when others get what you want? Somebody else gets the promotion. Somebody else gets the raise. Somebody else gets the girl. Somebody else gets the guy. Somebody else gets something you want. You're angry. That's an expression of love. You love yourself such that you want it and they, they got it. How about... If somebody doesn't pay attention to you or respects you, you're angry because you want recognition. You want respect. You love that. So you're angry when somebody doesn't give it to you. Are you angry when money's involved? When you think that somebody has defrauded you? Maybe you should be angry if that happens. Or what if somebody, what if you're an employer and somebody does their best and they really do their best, but they made a mistake, or it didn't work out, and it costs you money. They did their best. They did everything they could do, but it, they didn't come through, through no fault of their own. Are you angry? Do you love money more than the person? 
Ooh. This is a problem. It's a problem for me, too. I'm giving you all my sins right here. Because <laughs> I'll treat things more respectfully than persons sometimes. Do you? I'll treat my schedule and my wants. I'll put what I want over what other people want more often than the other way around. Do you do the same thing? How about when your needs aren't met? You get angry. Why? Because you love your needs. You love yourself more than you might love the other person. Am I more concerned with my agenda or God's agenda? Let's be honest, friends. Answer that question. Am I more concerned with my agenda or God's agenda? <sighs> Can we move on, Frank? <laughs> yeah. Think about it this way. Think about how selfish we are. We are more angry when our Wi-Fi goes down than if we hear that a million Christians were executed in Syria. We'd be more upset over Wi-Fi going down than when Christians are martyred. That's how selfish we are. So when we're supposed to be angry, we're supposed to be angry at the right things. Too often we're angry at the wrong things. We're angry at our own loves being interrupted by someone or something. We're not concerned with God's agenda, but man's agenda. That's why Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Let me ask you another question. What have been the results of decisions you've made in unrighteous anger? Oh, never good, right? Someone put it this way. Halt. Never make big decisions when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. You make decisions, big decisions, when you're hungry, angry, lowered, or lower, disaster. We've got to be angry at the right things. We really don't have grounds to be angry at many things, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, if, especially if you live in America. Look, God's grace is more responsible for your successes, and your choices are more responsible for your failures. Think about that. God's grace is more responsible for your successes and your choices are more responsible for your failures. Tim Keller wrote a uh, nice little uh, devotional with his wife, Kathy Keller, on Proverbs. Here's the entry from February 12th. I read on February 12th. I'm going through this every day. Here's the prayer for the devotional February 12th. Check this out. Lord, when things go wrong for me, I get so angry at you. I don't know why you aren't supporting my brilliant plan for my life, but how dare I think that my plan could be smarter or more loving than yours. I repent. Amen. I mean, do you get angry when things don't go your way? Sometimes things don't go the way you want them to for your own good. Sometimes God brings pain and suffering and evil into our lives to refine us. Writer of Hebrews says God disciplines those he loves. Paul says that perseverance brings character and character hope. He also says our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us a greater weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, for what is seen is temporary, but, what, but on what is unseen, for what is unseen is eternal. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 to 18. So, yes, we're supposed to be angry. 
but we're supposed to be angry at the things Jesus is angry over. Would Jesus get angry over what makes you angry? Yeah, probably not. We've got to be angry at what Jesus is angry at. And that's hard. That's why we need to abide in him. We're supposed to be angry at sin. We're supposed to be angry at putting money over people. We're supposed to be angry at obscuring God's grace with his traditions, or with our own traditions, I should say. And that's what religion does. We're supposed to be angry with self-righteous religious people, as Jesus was in John chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 23. We're supposed to be angry at unfruitfulness, angry at leading people astray, especially the young. We're supposed to be angry at hindering God's agenda with man's agenda. We're supposed to be angry at death and sickness. Jesus was angry at those things. We're supposed to be angry at sexual immorality and theft and covetousness and a number of things that are mentioned in the New Testament. Angry at lust. Angry at just thinking evil things. We're supposed to be angry at all sin. And that's why we're not supposed to let the sun go down on our anger. Because if we do, we're no longer salt and light. We're no longer people who are God's ambassadors here on earth. We're giving an opportunity to the devil when the sun goes down on our anger. But again, that's only righteous anger. That's not the kind of unrighteous anger that you and I normally have on a daily basis. Look, if there was somebody who could be angry and righteously angry, it was Jesus. Because he's the only truly innocent person in the history of the world who didn't deserve anything he got. He was brutalized, tortured, murdered when he was completely innocent. And he did that because that's the only way an infinite God who is infinitely just and also infinitely loving, can reconcile those two attributes. He can't allow sin to go unpunished. That would be unjust. But he's loving enough that he wants to find a way not to punish us for our sin. So what does he do? He punishes an innocent substitute. Who's the only innocent substitute? Jesus himself. So Jesus comes to earth. He puts human flesh on and lives the perfect life in my place and in your place and by trusting in him you not only can be forgiven you can be given his righteousness jesus should be angry because we put him through all that but he's loving and he accepted the penalty and that by trusting in him you can accept the forgiveness that that sacrifice accomplished question is, have you done that? I mean, why would you be angry at a God who provided that way? By the way, if you're angry at God for any reason, you're actually presupposing God exists. Why? Well, number one, how can you be angry at someone who doesn't exist? But number two, you're presupposing a standard, some kind of moral standard that says it's wrong for me to experience X, Y, or Z, and I'm angry about that. Well, how can it be wrong for you to experience X, Y, or Z? If there is no God, there's no standard, and there's no right or wrong way of living. There's no good or bad, so you shouldn't be angry about anything. These things just happen. No, the only reason you have any right to be angry about anything is if there's a standard of goodness or righteousness out there or justice that somehow is not being met. That's why you ought to be angry. But if you're angry, 
you're presupposing that standard exists, and if you're presupposing that standard exists, you're presupposing God exists. So if you're angry, you actually have evidence that God exists. All right, friends, I'm Frank Turek. More at our website, crossexamine.org, and more next week. I hope to see you there. Check out our website, crossexamine.org, and our Facebook pages as well. God bless. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.